stop right there. <laughs> and uh, he uh, didn't go down with that. Before he was going to go down, so I can still see what We've been looking at First Corinthians, and what we need to understand uh, overall is that Corinth was probably the most modern city of the ancient world. They were marked by people who were very impressed with themselves. The people in Corinth really liked Corinthians. They thought Corinthians were great, Corinthians were smart, Corinthians were funny and good-looking. And they felt like everybody should be like them. They were so divisive and so factualized that they really usually cared more about whose team they were on, whose side they were on, than about what was right. They didn't care about the facts. They didn't care about what would work. They cared about, well, you shouldn't be saying things like that. That's what they said. So when I told you it is a very modern city, you think the thing that we all understand that with the political climate that we have today, the other party from your party could invent a way to rain down three chocolate cookies from heaven. And somebody would say, well, you know, they're just doing it because they hate us. You know, they, every, We are so divisive and so focused on what team we're on and what side we're on that we are always in a mode of self-promotion. And when we get like that, here's the truth. Everybody loses. And of course, it doesn't stay on the outside. Corinth had this attitude, and it had crept, or maybe it had leaked, into the church. And so Paul gets word that the Corinthians have broken into parties. Some of them say, well, I am on Paul's side. Some of them say, well, I am on uh, Paulus's side. Somebody says, well, I'm on Peter's side. Well, I'm on Jesus's side. And they break up into these little groups, and they're always bickering based on whose side they're on. And of course, I think everybody knows that happens in churches around the world to this day. People say, well, I don't like that person. Or I really like that person. See, we are so human that I bet that at some point in your life, you have heard somebody suggest something, and you thought, oh, I don't like that. And then when you started to think about it, you were like, why don't I like that? Well, I don't like that because I don't like them. But that's happened to you before. That's Sin is so deep in our hearts. We are so attached to people that we say, okay, if this person says it, it must be right. If this person says it, it must be wrong. And so Paul's been talking at length about that, about is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? He goes through, he says, For Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, but the cross of Christ should be made of none of that. For the preaching of the cross, he says, he said really up to verse 17, that God did not send him to do things on the outside, but God sent him to the cross of Christ to change your that's what we pick up today, verse 18. He says, the preaching of the cross is to those that are on their way to perish. Foolishness. But to us who are saved, is the power of God. What's preaching? The Greek word for preaching is kerima. There's logos here, there's both words. It means the proclamation message. And so in the ancient world, I think I told you this last or two weeks ago, but let me jog your memory. In the ancient world, Caesar would conquer a new territory. When he conquered a new territory, he would send people in. And these people were called evangelists. And he gave them the job of preaching. And what they preached was good news. Caesar rules this territory. Caesar rules the world. 
And he told them that that, that was the gospel. Gospel is the Greek word, the gospel is the Greek word for good news. And so he sent these people to announce the good news that Caesar was king. Now Jesus comes onto the scene during Caesar's life, and he says, I've got different good news for you. The good news that I have for you is that God is king. That it doesn't matter who is the political authority where you are. It doesn't matter if it's Caesar or if it's the the Greeks or the Romans or if it's whoever. It doesn't matter. He's God's the one that's on the throne. And he says, God is so on the throne. Here's the message of the gospel. God is so on the throne that he defeated our old masters. When Caesar came in and Caesar said, good news, Caesar's your king. Caesar said, well, I defeated the Spaniards who were in control of you before. I defeated them. I set you free from the slavery to the Spaniards, and now you get to serve Caesar like a good Roman. But then Jesus comes and says to us, your whole lives you've been slaves to two different masters. To sin, your whole life you've been doing things you didn't want to do that you knew you shouldn't do, and you just keep falling into them over and over again, and to death. In your whole life, you've been marching forward as a slave to death. And Jesus says, I defeated sin by dying on the cross in your place. I defeated death by rising again. 1 Corinthians 15, 3 gives the definition of the gospel. I delivered unto you that which I also received first, uh, as a first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and was buried and raised again the third day according to the scriptures. The gospel, the good news, is that Jesus has come, and he is the king, that he has defeated our old slave masters and has set us free by his death, his burial, and his rest. Now, that's the preaching of the cross. The idea that what God did was defeat sin by dying. The idea that through torture and crucifixion by separation that there's life. And then you immediately see what Paul's talking about. He says, that message is foolishness for those who are married. You either look at that and say, that doesn't make any sense. That's foolish. Or, you say, that's the power of God. See, you say, maybe you looked at this. I sent out a text this week saying, to look and see if you could compare why Paul was talking about division in one hand and then suddenly switches and talks from verse 18 to verse 31 about wisdom. And then in chapter 2 goes back to divisions again. What, what do divisions have to do with wisdom and foolishness and the message of the cross? Here it is. When we are thinking like people think, when we're thinking in a really human way, a really sinful way, we think wisdom, the way to get ahead, is to be stronger than the other person. Wisdom, the way to get ahead, is to get your own way. Wisdom, the way to get ahead, is to be in control. But Jesus says, wisdom is the cross. And you can either decide, well, that's foolishness, dying is foolishness, or it's wisdom. My question is, when you want something in your life, do you go the way of the world and say, well, I'm going to stomp my feet, and I'm going to shout, and I'm going to go, and I'm going to... Call people on the phone. I'm going to get everybody on my side. I'm going to toss up and lie and cheat and steal. I'm going to do whatever it takes to get my way. Or do you say, I die to myself. I don't care what I like. I don't care what I want. It's not about me. Crucify me. 
crucified. He said, well, you'll never get anywhere if you're always laying your life down. Uh, the preaching of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. <coughs> so, wisdom is the way to live. Wisdom's different than intelligence, right? Wisdom is knowing what to do. The Bible calls craftsmen wise because they know how to do things. Wisdom, somebody who is wise is somebody who knows how to live well. So are you a wise person? Do you know how to live well? Do you know the right decisions to make? So you can know an awful lot of information and not be very wise. But again, there's a wisdom of the world, and then there is a wisdom of God. The wisdom of the world says, well, I'm going to outthink this, I'm going to outwork this, I'm going to push myself ahead. And rejects the cross. Wisdom of the world is what causes parties, what causes division of all this person or that person. Verse 19, for it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. God says, I'm going to destroy the wisdom of the wise have. I'm going to bring to nothing their understanding. Where is the wise? Verse 20. Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? He's speaking to the church at Corinth, of course, and he says, which was the wise person that through their cleverness and their status brought you to Jesus? Who was the wise person that saw Jesus coming? It wasn't. He said, God has made the foolishness, has made the wisdom of this world into foolishness. If you talk to people and say, okay, what do I need to do to have a relationship with God? Somebody who's very smart and spent a lot of time thinking about it said, well, you know, you need to be good. You need to try to undo the bad things that you've done and then you just hope for the bad. But God says, that sounds smart. That sounds like it makes sense. He says, but it's foolishness. He says, the only way that you can have peace in a relationship with God is with the cross. I had a, uh, a, a guy that I went to college with he was in the math program with me, or maybe he's in physics, I think a lot of physics classes. And he was getting his bachelor's. But he had an associate's degree in philosophy. Now, if you've ever heard the expression, a little knowledge is a dangerous thing, an associate's degree in philosophy from Sam Jack College is the definition of a little knowledge is a dangerous thing. So he had an associate's degree he got from Sam Jack. He transferred to U of H to get his bachelor's in math or physics or something. And so I was in a physics class with him. And he was the person who was quite confident that he knew everything. And he would quote Foucault, these different philosophers and stuff, and he just thought he was so clever. But I don't think I ever heard him write about anything ever. <coughs> He was more impressed with himself than he was with any kind of actual facts or any kind of actual understanding. And that's kind of an extreme example. I hope none of you have an associate's of philosophy from the same Jack. If you do, I'm sorry. That's a great degree. So, yeah. When we get to a point where we get a little bit of knowledge, we think, oh, I'm so wise, I know what to do. And let me ask you, where has your wisdom gotten you? 
I always say, I think the mantra of the human race is my stupidity got me into this mess and my stupidity is going to get me out of it. Don't tell me what to do. He said, where's the wise? Where's the scribe? Where's the disputer, the debater of this world? God's made foolish all their wisdom. What does it say? For after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save men back. The world, in all the world's wisdom, didn't recognize God. And God said, I'm going to take the preaching of a foolish message. And I'm going to use that foolish message to save those in their belief. It's very hard to come to. You say, make it sound easy. You say this prayer, repeat after me, sign this card, and I'll the card. Make it sound so easy. But do you know what it takes to become a Christian? You have to say, I can't do it. I can't do it on my own. All my wisdom and all my strength is just making my situation worse. And the harder I fight it, the worse it gets. My soul is in one of those Chinese finger traps. And the harder I pull, the tighter it gets. And there's no winning. There's no success. There's nothing for me. You know, that's a very hard thing to say. I can't do it. You know, when you're a little kid, you're pretty good at that. I can't tie my shoes. Yes, you can't tie your shoes. Just tie your shoes. You don't want to tie your shoes. But as we get older, our pride gets bigger. And we want everybody to believe that we have everything under control. That we can do it all by ourselves. And, you know, I, like I mentioned yesterday, our... Uh, Men's Brotherhood was on the, the topic of suicide, the number one cause of death for young men, the number two cause of death for young people in general, uh, number seven cause of death in the United States total. That's pretty great. Um, if you count physician-assisted physician suicide, then suicide probably kills more people than kidney disease. It's appalling. Do you know where this cycle comes from, though? Because people oftentimes feel like they don't have anywhere they can go for help. They're proud to ask for help. Well, I don't want to ask anybody for help. I can do this myself. But you know, God did not make you to do it yourself. He said, well, sure he did. I can handle it. I'm tough. But do you know, when Adam was in the Garden of Eden, Adam had no sin. He had a very simple job keeping snakes out of the fruit. He had perfect fellowship with God. And you know what God said? It is not good for man to be alone. God said Adam is not going to be able to do everything that he needs to do by himself. Adam didn't sin. Adam wasn't weak. Adam wasn't tired. Adam wasn't old. Adam couldn't. But God said it is not good for man to be alone. And ever since then, what has sin put in our heart? What's Satan put in our heart? What was the temptation that said the serpent came to eat with. So take you shall surely not die. You shall be as God. What's the temptation? <clears throat> I want to be my own God. I want to be in charge. I don't want to depend on anybody else. I want to be in control. And ever since then, God's been trying to push that out of us. 
Do you remember the Lord's Prayer, the model prayer? Jesus said, taught us to pray, give us this day our daily bread. Do you ever wonder why Jesus didn't say, give us this day our weekly bread? Then I'll have a little stockpile I gotta divvy it out. We'll see you next Monday. Because God wanted you to know that you are dependent on him every day. We sing that hymn, I need thee, oh, I need thee, every hour I need thee. Lord, I know that if I got this idea of self-sufficiency, then I'm going to forget about you. I'm going to tell you the truth about most of us. If God gave you seven days worth of bread on Monday, then by Saturday you'd be thinking, you know, I am so good at stockpiling bread. Could fall down into heaven on Monday, and by Saturday you'd have forgotten that you'd be patting yourself on the back. Because we have this idea, we have this illusion of independence, we have delusions of grandeur. <coughs> but God says all of that wisdom is foolishness, and you've got to get to the point in your heart where you can say everything I thought was so important is dust and ash. <laughs> And all the things that I value, I have to cast aside. All the things I thought were wise, I have to accept as foolishness. And I have to accept what seems so foolish. The idea that the only way to live is to die. I have to accept that the only way to really get ahead and the only way that matters is to lay aside all the things that I think are so precious. We uh, are so bad at this. The wisdom, by God's wisdom, the world, by its wisdom, didn't know God. So it pleased God through the foolishness of preaching to save them. Sometimes this is misinterpreted to mean the act of preaching was foolish, but actually it's very clear that um, it's the meaning of the message, the message preached. What God uses to save those that believe. If you're going to be saved, you're going to have a relationship with God. Do you realize how foolish it sounds to say the way to do that is by believing? Say, God, I trust you. That's too easy. You know, it's got to be more complicated than that, or everybody would do it. What do I need to do? You know, do I stand on one foot, pat my head, hurt my belly? Or do I have to go and do this ritual? You know, who do I write a check to? But God will love me. He says, well, you can have a relationship with God if you accept that he came and died to have a relationship with you. believe. Now, if you look at the ways, the wisdom of the world, I mean the wisdom of the age that we live in, the wisdom of humanity, say, well, you're never going to get ahead like that. So the way you're going to get ahead, the way you're going to get happy is you're going to get the right job. Once you've got the right job, you're going to get, and you get the right job, and you say, hmm, I'm not happy. Well, then you just got to get the right stuff. You know, you got to get enough money, and when you have the right stuff, then you'll be happy. Then you'll have peace in your heart. Well, then, well, if you could just marry the right person, you know, all your problems are going to disappear when you get married, right? Hallelujah. So when I was telling somebody the other day, there's a secret that I don't want to get out to run because I don't think the world's ready for it. When you've got two people and they get married and he's got his problems, she's got her problems, they come together. Do you know what happens to their problems? 
They multiply. Now they've both got both of their problems, okay? So you talk to people all the time. And that's why I do premarital counseling and stuff with married people. And uh, there's always this attitude of, well, you know, I've got this problem and she's got these problems. And when we bring them together, they're going to disappear into fairy dust. And we're going to have sunshine. <laughs> all kinds of Kids are going to be professional athletes and rocket scientists. So you just have these things. You know, it's going to come together. Life's going to be wonderful. You say, that just sounds so wise. You know, if I just had the right person, yeah, that makes sense. If I just had the right stuff, that makes sense. If I just lived in the right neighborhood, if I just had the right friends, then I know why I'd be happy. God says, all that wisdom, all that stuff that seems like it makes so sense, so much sense, he said, I've got a different message for you. He said, what if I told you, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs the kingdom of heaven. What if I told you, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. What if I told you, blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. What if I told you, blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. What if I told you, blessed are you when all men persecute you and revile you and say all men are of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad for great is your reward. Say, none of that makes any sense. But God said, your world is upside down and I want to turn it right side up again. For the foolishness of the message preached. He said, where's the wise? It's please God to save them that believe. So for the Jews require a sign. Okay? The Jews wanted a miracle. They wanted God to drop something down out of heaven, light the sky. I went to was discussing uh, with, actually, you know what? It was an uh, associate's degree of philosophy uh, from San Jack College. Yeah, I was talking to him at one point in college. And I, I was at, you know, talking to him about the Bible. I said, you know, if God appeared out of heaven right now and, like, stood next to you, Called down lightning. You still wouldn't really believe, would you? Well, no, I know that there was something else going on. Here's the problem with signs. You're never satisfied. You know, have you ever done that? You ever tested God? You, know, you knew there was something you didn't want to do. Like, okay, God, if I am supposed to stop doing this, I want you to wake me up at 6:32 in the morning. Lay down, you wake up. 6:32. Say, okay, God, if that was really you, then I want to turn on the TV and, you know, whatever. You lay out these silly, lay out the police for God. And if you've ever done that, has that ever worked? You're like, okay, yes, I'm going to now be humble and obedient. No, signs are never satisfactory. Things that happen for you are never satisfactory because we've got such short memories. You don't remember what God did for you last week. Our question for God is always, what have you done for me lately? And our faith is so dependent on today. But the foolishness is that it all comes down not to signs, not to wonders, but to a cross. The Greeks seek after wisdom. <coughs> the Greeks wanted arguments. They wanted proof. You know, I can lay out proofs for you that uh, Christianity is true. It's not going to change your heart. You know, I... The, there's, uh, the fundamental force of the universe are the gravitational force, the electrical force, the strong nuclear force. If any one of those was different by one thousandth of one percent, then the universe would either explode or collapse. There'd be no life. Ta-da, I just proved for you that the earth was created specifically by design. 
Does having that No, because you're like, well, wow, that's really lucky that we happen to be in the universe that's got the perfect dimensions for life. I said, well, do you know that if the sun were slightly larger or slightly smaller, there could be no life on the Earth? Or if the Earth was slightly closer to the sun or slightly farther away? Or if the Earth didn't have a tilt, then it wouldn't uh, have the seasons that allow life to exist. And if it didn't have a magnetic pole, then we would have been pelted with meteors and we would have all died. You know that all those things had to fall into place. You had to have the right amount of water, the right amount of carbon for us to continue to live, and all these different things. I've tried before. Because I thought, you know, people, if you could just explain it to people. But here's the problem. Your problem and my problem is not with our heads. You ever tried to argue with somebody who wanted to be mad? <clears throat> there are some people that live like that every day. You know, not happy unless they're unhappy. Some of you are going to have to have some marriage counseling. <laughs> some people that like to be mad. You can lay out facts for you can lay out figures, and they say, no, that's wrong. You have 20 people there that all saw it one way, and they're sure it's a good one. But the, that's the problem, is that it's not a head problem, is it? It's a heart problem. It's not about facts, it's about wanting to be right. It's not about wisdom, it's about wanting to be able to say, I figured this out by my own bootstraps. It's not about a sign, it's wanting to have God at your beck and call. You want a sign? Jesus said there'll be one sign given to you, the sign of Jonah. The sign of man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth, and the third day will rise again. Just the Jews require a sign, and the Greeks seek after wisdom. But we, verse 23, preach Christ crucified. Unto the Jews a stumbling warlock, and unto the Greeks we preach a different message. We proclaim Christ crucified. We say there was a man who was God in the flesh, and he came and he died. Publicly shamed. The Bible doesn't say that the Jesus was crucified on a hill. You know that from the song, right? On a hill far away. So don't get across. It says they went to Mount Calvary, but if you actually go to Mount Calvary in Jerusalem, it's too rocky. They did it on the ground. They did it on the ground, and you have these images in your mind where the cross is like a skyscraper. You know, you never, you never really thought about it. But here's how a cross works. There was a socket dug in the ground that was maybe seven feet tall, maybe six feet tall, six and a half feet. And they would just nail the offender's hands to the cross beam. They'd pick him up, they'd attach the cross beam onto the rest of it, and they'd leave the suffocator to catch his feet. So he could push himself up the tree. So really, Jesus, when he was crucified, was probably about as high as the ground as I am right now. You know what was right here? A street. Because they wanted everybody to be able to come by and see them being crucified so they could sit on them and mock them. And so presumably they wouldn't commit the same crime. So you don't know all that. You know, you think when you think of a cross, you think of a necklace or a design or a wall or a tattoo or something. Okay? But the cross was death. It was public shaming death. We don't have anything like that today. But I just want you to imagine if Jesus had been killed in the 1920s, would we wear little electric chairs around our necks? You know, really, it was a lynch mob. They took him and they tortured him and shamed him and beat him and hung him naked on a cross. 
Now, if I told you, okay, here's the plan. God's going to save the world. The eternal God who's always existed is going to become a baby. And he's going to grow up in, I'm gonna, he's going to grow up in Ecuador, okay? A poor region, never has any influence. He's going to grow up and he's going to be crucified. He's going to be killed by a lynch mob. And because he's killed by a lynch mob, if you believe in him, you're going to be saved. You say, well, that's foolishness. That's what the message of the cross sounded like. The, the Greeks. They said, what do you mean a criminal dying is going to be the way for us to live? God says, you've got to lay aside your own ideas about what's right, your own ideas about how things ought to work. First, to come to Christ. First, to say, you know, I don't understand it all, but I understand that God's put his love on display and that all the punishment I deserve with all the punishment he has got. And I believe. And then once you're past that, what happens? In every day of your life, you say, oh, you know, I could try to get ahead by my own strength. I could try to get things my way. I could try to outsmart and outthink and outtalk. Or I could say, you know, wisdom is to die. Wisdom is to lay me down. We're not very good at that. That's God's wisdom. The wisdom of the cross is that I lay myself down and I give myself up. God says, Paul says, but God says through Paul to his leaders in this church, look, quit dividing yourself up about how you can advance yourself as the leader of this party or that party. Realize here, we preach Christ crucified to the Jews the stumbling block and to the Greeks foolishness, but unto them which are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. The wisdom you want power, it's found in Jesus crucified. It's found in the unstoppable love of God that went on a cross and died. It's found in the unstoppable power of God that raised Jesus up from the dead. I'm so glad uh, pretty sang that song this morning. Beautiful name it is, but powerful name it is. I heard that song on the radio, I said that sounds like great. Understand. Everything that we feel, every way that we want to do things is fundamentally broken. Verse 25, the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. If you want to choose between foolishness and wisdom, God's idea, when it seems like it doesn't make any sense, is much better than your idea that seems to make a lot of sense. The thing of God that seems that's powerless, that's never going to work, what good is death going to do, is much more powerful than all the schemes things that I can so here's the thing. In your life, do you live like you believe the fundamental principles are blessed are the pushers for they always get their way, blessed are the bossy for they get ahead, blessed are the powerful because they get what they want, or do you live like you believe blessed are they that mourn, blessed are the meek, blessed are the hungry, blessed are the poor? Do you live your life like you believe in God's wisdom or like you think the same as everybody else and you just happen to come to church sometimes? I hope that your way of thinking is completely different. I hope the way your heart is wired is completely different. I hope that you look and you say, it's not about my preferences, it's not about my feelings, it's not about my advancement, it's about the cross. And there's nothing there, is there? You know, they took Jesus and they, they beat him. They took off his clothes and they put the robe on him, the, the 
fake royal robe and a crown on him, the crown of thorns. They hung him on the cross. When they hung him on the cross, you remember they took the robe off and they took his clothes and they gambled for his clothes. And so when Jesus was hanging on the cross, there's no honor there, no money there, there's no accomplishment there, there's no great speeches given there. The only thing that's there is the love of God. How are you going to get ahead? How are you going to get what you need in life? Not going to be by oh look how much money, look how much power, look at all the things. <laughs> Remember, Jesus said in that day that he will come unto me and say, Lord, Lord, do not cast out many demons, do many marvelous works in your name. And Jesus said, I'll say unto them, Depart from me, you that work in the You've got to come to God through the cross. You've got to say, Lord, I want to die to everything that makes sense to me. I want to die to everything that I am. I want to die to everything except your word. You know, there are things. But I don't like. Like, you know, I wish that we didn't do something. We would do something. I look and I say, okay, well, what? I started doing this to people. People don't like it. Um, somebody wants to complain about something. You, you know, sometimes I come to people at the church and say, well, you won't believe what our pastor did. People do that to the pastor, you know, try to say, wow. So when you say we shouldn't do that, what scripture are you thinking of? Well, you just, just don't do it like that. No. What verse in the Bible are you thinking of? It's a pretty confusing question. So they're not thinking of anything, they're thinking about themselves. But the cross says, I leave all that behind. Nothing but death to my old self and the life that I live in the flesh. I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself. I don't wrap it for you see your calling, brethren. How that not many wise after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. So he's got, if you look at the people that God calls in his service, it's not many that are mighty, not many that are strong. It's not a club for the strong. Uh, Queen Victoria said her favorite letter in the Bible is M. Said because she was grateful that God said not many noble and not not any. God calls people from all walks of life. It's not about who you are, what you've done. God's chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. He's taken the, the things that people look at and say that's foolish. Those people are weak. God can never do anything with those people. And God's chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty, the base, the humble, the humiliated things, and the things which are despised hath God chosen, yea, and things which are not, which are not to bring to naught things that are. Say, well, God could never use me. I am foolish. I am weak. I am. I can't do this. I can't do that. God said, if I let somebody who's strong do my work, if I let somebody who's smart, somebody who's wise, and people are going to give them the credit. He says, but when I take shattered garments, when I take people who have experiences in your life that would, in their life that would turn your stomach, when I take people that are lacking all these things and I use them, he says, then the only one that gets the glory is me. Verse 29, that no flesh glory is present. Nobody has any bragging rights with God because he uses the weak to destroy the strong. He uses the death on a cross to destroy the empires of sin and death. 
he uses humility to overcome self-invention, pride, and trench so deeply. He doesn't fight fire with fire. That's worldly wisdom. Fight fire with fire. Well, I'm going to go tell them what for. It says, love your enemies. Do good to them that hate you. Pray for them which despitefully you, because you may be the children of your father. That's the way of the cross. But of him, verse 30, are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. That according as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. Do you need wisdom? You say, I don't need, I don't know what to do. I need somebody to tell me what to do. I need some advice. Just Christ Jesus is your wisdom. You need righteousness, you need an upstanding status. Christ Jesus is your righteousness. You need sanctification. You say, I just don't know how to live any better. I don't know how to do any better. But Jesus is your sanctification. You say, I need to escape. I'm trapped. Death has too much hold over me. Sin has too much hold over me. I need somebody to take me away. Jesus is your redemption. I had intended to spend about 10 minutes on that, but it's 12 or 2. But I'm just going to ask you, when you glory, when you're excited about something, when you're proud of something, do you say, look at what God has done? Or do you say, look at what I've done? When things don't go your way, that happens sometimes. When things don't go my way sometimes. Hey, can I, do I say, oh wow, I'm going to do better and I'm going to fix it? Do I say, okay, God sits on his throne. It's a hard thing to live, isn't it? The wisdom of the world says, well, if you're doing things right, you'll be successful, you'll get what you want. The wisdom of the cross, the wisdom of God says, everything that I am needs to die so that everything that's left is the perfect creation of all my So what I'm giving you today is an invitation to die. It's not the best sales pitch you've ever heard of it. <laughs> you and I want to do things our way we want to live our life. We want to be in control. And I'm telling you that the only way that you will ever have a life that matters is if you lay all of that down and you say, let it die, God. Let it die. Kill it. Say, Lord, the only life that I want to have is your life in me. The only wisdom that I want to have is the wisdom that doesn't make sense to anybody else. The only power that I want to have is the power of the body that was battered and bruised on a cross. And God, when I've got that, I love everything. See, maybe you've come today and you've never trusted Christ. Maybe if you died today, you don't know what would happen. You say, well, I hope I'd be good enough. I've done this and that. If I told you, that's the wisdom of the world. The wisdom of the cross is, I know that I have peace with God because Jesus came and he died in my place. Okay, well, can't you give me some kind of arguments to prove to me that that's true? I can't, but it's not going to do any good. What you need to do is in your heart realize right now conviction that yes, you know, I'm a sinner. Yes, I've been doing things my own way. Yes, this makes sense. I felt like I didn't have any other choice. I, 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 I. But I've come to the point where I've realized that my stupidity may have gotten me into this mess, but my stupidity is not going to get me. And I'm going to go out the only way out that there is with the shame and the pain and the loss of a cross because I know that God. Going to live. As we stand together, musicians, you guys.
we're going to have a hymn invitation. I just want you to, after we pray, we're going to sing. If you've never trusted Jesus, I want you to step first. Come out and just say, Lord, I want to turn from my sin. I want to turn from doing things my own way. I want to turn from trying to be my own God. I trust you. You need to make some other decision. You just need to lay something down. Come and you just pray here. Just pray and say, Lord, I'm sorry for trying to do things the world's way. I'm sorry for trying to do things my way. I want to go the way of God. Let's pray and then we'll say. Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, for this.